Hey, everybody. Welcome to Hey Sawbones, my story, my passion, Dr. Ryan Molly. Uh, this is going to be a really, really cool guest. I've got Dr. Matthew Zim, ophthalmologist extraordinaire from here in Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, you, you would think, hey, he's an eye doctor. It's going to be pretty boring, but I can assure you it's far from that. This guy is extremely entrepreneurial. He's an extraordinarily funny guy. He's uh, a blast to hang out with. I've had some amazing memories uh, we're going to share some great stories. Um, and I just want to share his story because uh, from hearing about things like his family, his his grandfather that fought in World War II, his medical influence from his father's side of the family, his business influence from his mother's side of the family, um, you're going to meet an amazing individual, love supporting local. Um, guys, girls, if you have any eye problems, this is the guy you're going to want to see. And uh, make sure to stay tuned towards the very end because we have our Sawbones Challenge you're not going to want to miss it. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you in a few. All nurses to the nurses station. Lawless country people are real close family. Some of my kinfolk don't get around too good, you see. When that doctor asked them, son, how'd you get in this condition? They says, hey, soft bones, I'm just a carrying on an old family tradition. They want to know, doc, me all about it doc hey everybody dr ryan molly here welcome to hey sawbones my story my passion i'm your host orthopedic surgeon cutter of bones entrepreneur uh loving husband father of three boys and today i am ex super excited to have our our special guest it's uh dr matthew zim he is an Erie native. He's an ophthalmologist here. Um, little did I know when I met him that we had so many things in common, um, including that our wives are both from Michigan, that we both trained in the Metro Detroit area. And uh, I've known him for at least six or seven years now. We've become very close friends. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him uh, professionally for what he does for his patients, but also he's extremely entrepreneurial, has an amazing business mind. Um, I'm constantly picking his brain on, on business ideas, but um, you're going to really enjoy this. Be sure to, again, stick around till the very end. We have the Sawbones Challenge. Um, it's always a fun time. And without further ado, Dr. Zim, hey, how are you? Good. How are you seeing? Good to see you, bud. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. So um, a little backstory Excited. before we, we got this started. Yeah. We were supposed to start filming at 7, and yeah. um, I had some memory card issues, but uh, you were patient, kind no enough to, to wait around. So we're only about an hour and a half late, but it's a Friday night. 
the heck else are you going on a Friday night? Yeah, we're going to have some fun here. Yeah, this is it. This is, I was locked out my whole night. So we kind of went through a little bit of kind of the format of this. Um, but what I always do when I start these is just to to give the, the viewers, because I know quite a bit about you, but sure. quite honestly, every episode that I've done so far, I've learned quite a bit about my guests, even my best friend who I thought I knew everything about. So wow. let's let's hear a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and sure. kind of your journey from, you know, growing up to where you are now, both professionally and personally. Yeah. So, you know, definitely born and raised in Erie. Um you know, spent the bulk of my life here and, um, you know, grew up with two sisters, one older and one younger and, uh, parents both from Erie as well. And, um, grew up really in a medical family, you know, lots of physicians from, you know, my grandfather to aunts to uncles, um, lots of nurses, uh, my grandmother, you know, aunts and, and just down the line, a lot of medical influence in my life. So kind of growing up, um, you know, it was always interesting because I got to, you know, check out different things, you know, work things and uh, spend time with my grandfather, spend time with my uncles. My what, what type of physician was your grandfather? Uh, my grandfather was an ear, nose and throat surgeon. Okay. So, you know, practiced in Erie for a really, really long time and uh, really enjoyed his presence in my life growing up and just hearing his stories and, you know, grew up in a time that's just, well, nowadays it may be similar, but, you know, tried to get through medical school, got shipped off to World War II, um, you know, fought overseas for years oh. and years. Um, and, you know, how he even survived is beyond me. You know, like most of the people in his his unit were killed. He was, you know, um, you know, promoted. He, he ran his whole unit and he was there for a long, long time. And then, you know, ultimately came back and then finished his residency and went into practice and practiced ear, nose and throat for, geez, I guess, 40 plus years. Um, wow. But, you know, you think back of the things that he had been through and any little glitch, you know, could have changed life for everybody here. I mean, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if something happened to him in Germany. Yeah. And um, my grandmother was a Navy nurse um, as well. And Is that I think how they met? They they met prior to that, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. I don't know that 100%, but I believe they met prior to that. Um, she had four or five brothers. They were all physicians. Um and, you know, so, yeah, they ended up ultimately getting married, having family. And, you know, so just a really interesting story there. And I think she out, even though she was in the Navy, my grandfather was in the Army. I think there was a running joke that she outranked them, whatever the equivalent rank would be. So I don't know how that went over, but I think it, it, it ended up being just just fine. But, you know, so growing up, uh, big impact there, sitting there hearing my grandfather's stories in the war and the things that he had been through. Um, you know, I remember one specific story. He told me that I, he was on, in a Jeep with one of his privates or something and the Jeep broke down, they blew a tire and they're sitting on the side of the road, getting this Jeep put back together. And he just looks up and there's just two, you know, German soldiers standing over him with machine guns. And, you know, he thought this was going to be it. This is it. And, you know, ultimately they handed him a card that said they were surrendering. Um, you know, and they surrendered to them right there on the spot. And, um, but once again, I, I'm just, you know, I think of, you know, thinking of childhood and growing up and how those little things could have changed all of our lives, yeah. you know, dramatically, if something happened to him, uh, probably wouldn't even exist. Yeah. Um, so we had the medical side of the family and then on my mom's side of the family, um, all Italian full blooded, and they were in the clothing industry. 
So my grandpa, Ralph Battaglia, had started a men's clothing store with a partner, I think in the 1930s, 1940s range, probably 1940s, um, maybe even been the 50s. Sorry, I'm not sure on the date of that, but had a great custom made clothing store. Hmm. So, you know, he built up a great reputation for fine suits and custom menswear. And that's a time when men really dressed. Oh, yeah. Know, top hats, suits, blazers. Pants, you know, dress shoes. They weren't dressed like this on a Friday. Right, night. like, yeah, this is just, you know, we got the casual look on. <laughs> but yeah, and even women dressed, you know, and they yeah. went out. They partied, you know, three, four nights a week, and they were out all night, and they're dancing, and, you know, they'd be back at the house at two in the morning, and my grandpa would drag all his friends over, and my grandmother would have to make meatballs and sauce and all that kind of stuff. Wow. So very hardworking people doing the grind, you know, day-to-day stuff and just, just making ends work, and then... Um, so I got to see that growing up too. And then my uncle Jack, my mom's brother, um, ultimately ended up taking over that clothing store, um, at, at one point closed it at one point, he was doing some things in, in Vegas and in different types of land development and things of that nature. And, you know, ultimately reopened it until his retirement several years ago and, and then moved to Florida. My mom was also very involved in that as well. So, you know, she'd be at the store. My grandmother was at the store, you know, my uncle was at the store I'd be doing whatever they needed. To a true family know. business. Yeah, it was a family business. So I'd be stocking shelves, breaking boxes, you know, taking garbage out. Whatever they needed me to do, I did it. Changed the sign out to the store. I actually worked at that store off and on through high school, college, and even a little bit in medical school. Where was it at? Um, initially, it was located downtown on 9th and, 9th and State. Okay. And then... Um, when my grandfather had passed and, and Taggart's closed at some point there in the 80s, I believe, um, my uncle reopened it on 12th and Pittsburgh Avenue. There's an Erie, okay. Erie Bank there now. It was ultimately knocked down, but it was there for quite a few years until um, my uncle Jack retired and moved to Florida. Got it. Um, so family business there. So it was kind of neat. They had the sales approach, you know, in the custom clothing and all that on my mom's side. And then my dad's side was primarily medical. And nice. then my dad's a dentist. Um, you know, he grew up in Erie as well and, you know, through college and then uh, dental school at Pitt. And then um, short short time in the Navy, I think he was in there for four or five weeks or something, uh-huh. enough to get a uniform, and <laughs> um, you know, which was pretty cool. And then, you know, dental school. And then he sure. came back to Erie as well and had a dental practice for 30 plus years. Uh-huh. And um, so I'd go in and watch him as well. So... You know, that was really neat getting to see what he did, see what my grandpa did. Um, And, you know, dental was really neat. He had a great lifestyle and a great way of life and, you know, nights and weekends free. But I just I wasn't nuts about digging around in people's mouths. So it just it just wasn't for me. But, you know, you learn a lot. You see him running his business and how he did it and talking for patients and caring for patients. And, you know, same with my grandfather. You know, he was always, you know, pushing along and bringing new technologies to Erie. And a lot of first, I think he did one of the first microscope based surgeries, like in, in the state, I think he did the first ear based surgery using a microscope in the state, which seems basic now, but you know, watching that progression of technology, I got to see a lot of those, those cool things. Um, Across the board, we had ophthalmologists, ENTs, you know, plastic surgeons, radiologists, cardiologists, you know, down the line, we had some exposure to a lot of different specialties. So how do you settle on opto? Um, You know, for me, it wasn't easy. You know, I saw ENT and then my uncle Jeff, 
which is my dad's brother, um, is an ophthalmologist in Naples. And he always had a big influence and impact on me, you know, in terms of watching what he did and his, his habits and his medical ethics and everything and watching him get into ophthalmology. I just always admired it. And I'm the kind of person that, you know, I'm a good multitasker, but I also like to focus really in on things and just really get good at something. Yeah. And I'm pretty meticulous when it comes to certain things. You know, I grew up, I always liked building like model cars. You know, I'd be sitting there for hours tinkering with little parts and putting them together and taking them apart. And just really like that kind of fine detail work. Mm -hmm. And um, so for me, you know, as I progressed through training and to school and eventually got into medical school, just start narrowing things down. And yeah. I liked ENT. I liked ophthalmology. Those were probably my two top picks. Did you kind of know you wanted to do something surgical, though, because of I your did. hands and everything Absolutely. like that? Yeah. yeah, and I just wanted to be able to help people and increase their quality of life, you know, and not that you can't do that with a lot of different areas of medicine, but to me, it came down to a specialty that I could really hone in, really focus my my surgical skills, have that meticulous type of work, and um, give people, like vision to me is just so important. You know, if you sit there and close your eyes, I mean, God, you know, help and God bless the people that don't have vision. We feel horrible for them. But, you know, so many people, you know, your vision goes down. You can't do anything. Yeah. You can't drive a car. You can't see TV. You can't read. And, you know, with a very refined surgery, I thought I can get in there, I can make my impact, I can help a lot of people and change their lives in a way that, you know, is very impactful. In ENT, I liked it, it was more broad, you know, you're in the nose, you're in the ears, you're in the throat, you're in, it just was a little bit too broad for me. Yeah. So with ophthalmology and cataract surgery being something I was really interested in, I just felt I could really hone my skills in and really learn them well. And so that ultimately led me to ophthalmology. Um, the process of getting there, as you know, is not easy. No, it's an arduous process. Ugh. I I just remember in, in medical school, like one of the first days, um, it probably wasn't the first day. It was definitely in the first year where they were like, you really have one decision to make. It's medicine or surgery. Mm -hmm. That's your first decision you kind of need yeah, to narrow down. I agree, and absolutely. Quite honestly, I didn't know because I thought I wanted to be primary care with an emphasis on like sports medicine, non-surgical. And then once I got into it worth the operating room, it was like phew, light light bulb went on yeah but, it, right you just you felt that passion you're like this is, this is it. me yep and i think that's so important no matter what you do you know whether you're in medicine or some other field you just have to find something that you're passionate about and it makes it not like work yeah you're not dreading you know monday morning like i tell you know a lot of people sunday night when most people are gosh i gotta go to work tomorrow i'm excited right I, i'm excited right you know and i get to get back into my element, help people get in the operating room, which is quite honestly like my sanctuary. No sure. one can bother me. I can kind of tune in, focus on my passion. I joke, I say it's Tiger Woods on, on Sunday with his red on. That's just right. Laser focus. Yeah. Yeah. And you can just, you can kind of block out everything else. There's no distractions and you can work your art. Exactly. Um, you know, as, as you know, the most challenging thing is you can have an interest in something, but there's a lot of steps along the way to get there. And, you know, I was not the smartest person in the world when it came to book smarts and understanding things. Like, I did not pick things up easily. Mm -hmm. I knew from an early onset I had to work. Like, in order to do well in Excel, I had to study my butt off to get things understood. And that was from an early age. You know, I, I could learn it. 
but some people just pick things up rapidly. It always took me a little bit longer to learn it. So, you know, I was dedicated to school probably starting in first or second grade. I had, oh, wow. you know, I think a teacher asked me what you wanted to be when you grew up. And I wrote down, I wanted to be an ophthalmologist. Um, believe it or not, that was high on my list, even in second grade. And I, I think I even spelled it correctly, which was, I, I don't think know, I can spell it correctly right? now. I, and I can barely spell it correctly anymore <laughs> as I'm getting older and you get forgetful. Um, but you know, so then through school, I knew I was going to have to work twice as hard as everybody else, get up early, stay late, you know, through high school and through college. Um, I just, that was my ethic. And I just had to work my butt off to get good grades. And, you know, you I were worked, grinding, grinder, right? going to grind. You have to I appreciate grind. that so much more. Not that I don't appreciate it when someone has a gift of being able to pick something up easily, but sure. to me, the people that, ha- that grind, that have grit, that don't necessarily have all of that natural ability or skill. Mm-hmm. It, to me, it, it must have felt better to you too yeah. at the end of the day when you yeah. could sit back and be like, look what I accomplished yes. because you worked your butt off. To get there. Yeah. And you know, I entered Gannon with a pre-acceptance to Hahnemann, which is an MD institution in Philadelphia. I think it's now Jefferson or whatnot. Okay. Certain requirements. You had to have X on your GPA. You had to have X amount of... Um, MCAT scores and all down the line crushed Gannon I mean I was 4.0 across the boards dean's list president's list and what came time to take my MCATs the minimums were eights in all there are three sections you had yeah. eights in every section and I remember I think I got an 11 and a 12 and I got a 7 in verbal reasoning and Hahnemann looked at me and said we're not accepting you into our program and I said whoa you know, I've hit every requirement, crushed this, that, the other. The seven was the deal breaker. Wow. And they just shut it down. It was boom. We had way too many kids in your year in this program. So that was like a shot. And I'm like, man, I worked really hard to get to this. And then I just like totally failed. And, you know, so I had to scramble. And just like anything, I don't give up. I mean, I'm yeah. passionate about what I want to do. So, you know, every physician in my family was an MD. They're all medical doctors. And, you know, we had a newer school in Erie Lecom. And, you know, I knew about the DO philosophy, but I I didn't know a lot about it. And, you know, was lucky enough um, to be able to get an interview at Lecom relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I started digging in and learning more about the philosophy, it was was really um, impactful to me to Mm -hmm. see the treatment of the entire body and not just a disease. And that was kind of like me, you know, as a person, like, you don't just, you know, if somebody's having an issue or a problem, you get, you got to help them. And you're not just maybe helping one thing. You may help other things. Sure. Was lucky enough to get accepted into LECOM and just really embraced it and really enjoyed the curriculum and the values that, you know, I was able to learn and understand at LECOM and, you know, same thing. It was the grind, man. I mean, I, I just studied constantly. I mean, from the time I got up to the time I went to bed, if I wasn't in class, I was studying and mm-hmm. I did well. You know, I did well. I can't remember how I ended up. I think it was in my top 10 or 11 in my class at medical school. And it wasn't because I was the smartest kid at school, but I worked as hard, if not twice as hard as everybody else. And yeah. there were kids that sat next to me. I went to read the book once and they had everything to just knew it. Yeah. To read the book. 10 times to get to that point, but eventually I would learn it. And then, you know, as you know, in a competitive surgical specialty, 
these slots are not easy to get. No. You've got the cream of the crop going after ortho, going after ENT, going after ophthalmology. So I think a lot of people, maybe they realize it, but they don't realize it. Like what people have to do to get into these programs. Yeah. You could have a dream of being an orthopedic surgeon. You could have a dream of being an ophthalmologist. Doesn't mean you're going to get a spot. No. At all. It's funny because um, I look at getting into medical school. I went to LeeCom as well, and yep. I was a little later to the ball game. I didn't know I wanted to be in medicine. Okay. I've talked about it on a couple of previous uh, podcasts, so I won't go into the details, but original plan was chiropractic school. Sure. I just happened to be taking a lot of the pre-med requisites because yeah. I needed that for that. And literally, I changed like third year of, of undergrad Wow. and had to get prepared to take the MCATs yeah. like very, yeah. very quickly. Yeah. I only had about three or four weeks to prepare for, for the MCATs. <laughs> wow, um, so I definitely wasn't uh, getting into Hahnemann with, with my scores. And, you know, it took me a while to learn how to study and how to really become a student. And each step of the, of the way, I got better at it. Like med school, I worked super hard. Sure. But it wasn't really till residency where I, I finally found my, my groove and my niche. Oh, and wow. I remember my uh, program director up in Michigan where yeah. we, we both did our residencies. He, there was two residents per year, mo most years. One year, there'd be one year, uh, one resident. But he, there was a, a my co-resident was one of the kids that you talked about, super brilliant, smart. Yeah. And yeah. my program director called him the show horse and I was the workhorse. <laughs> and I was determined, bound and determined by the end of my residency that I was going to open his eyes that I was more than just a workhorse. And and I was, I was a workhorse, but yeah. same things by the end, we, we have our orthopedic and training exam. And one of the things I'm most proud of is I, I scored the number one in the nation. Wow. All orthopedic residents wow. are uh, orthopedic um, uh, boards. Good. For, that was your it, orthopedic in service. It, well, no, we but, did well. I was top 5% OITEs orthopedic in service, but okay. our actual written boards, I got the number one. Wow. In, the, in the nation but it's pretty awesome but what i was going to say is like uh, we always say like the best residency you get into or the best medical school you get into is the one that you get into yeah right and then you just make it whatever yes. you can out of it yes. right whether it's lecom whether it's hahnemann whether it's duke whatever it may be you got it you're going to get out of it what you put into yeah. it. yeah it's fun <laughs> this brings up a pretty good story in residency once again my test taking skills on national boards were not very strong <laughs> So we had three residents per year and we, it was the OCAP was the in-surface exam that every ophthalmology resident would take uh, once per year. And it would compare against the first, second, third year residents across the country. And I remember my co-residents, Vicky, Rashawn, and I sat for the in-service exam. And then, um, I don't know, six weeks later, Dr. Rubin was walking in the clinic. He was our program director up yeah. at, through Michigan state. And he just had a really pissed look on his face. And I'm just like, I'm like starting to sweat bullets. I'm like, I know we got our old cap scores. <laughs> so, and it's rare for him to be in clinic as early as he was that day. And to call all three of us, meaning Rashawn, Vicky, and myself to residency clinic for a special meeting. And I remember going into his office and he's just tapping his fingers on the desk. Oh, geez. And he said, do you know why I'm here right now and why you three are here? And we're like, we have no idea. No, I don't. He goes, your board scores, your OCAP in-service exams came in. Like, okay. He goes, you three idiots scored the lowest scores <laughs> in the history of our program. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> was he messing with you or seriously? <laughs> dead serious. Oh, gosh. Dead serious. And he goes, you know, I have to face the other program directors with scores like this. So he goes, guess what we're going to do? We're doing, we had a board, we had our ophthalmology basic science course that was 15 volumes about, you know, three and a half feet wide worth of information. And he said, I'm going to come down. We are going to do board review at our resident clinic in Detroit for, I think, three or four nights per week until next year's OCAP exam. And he stuck to it. We did. We all had to do like 30, 40 pages a day and present. Oh, so my gosh. We sit for our second year OCAP exam. And um, I'll never forget this one either. He called us back to his office. You know, I'm out on rotation. Vicky's on rotation. Roshan. Same thing. He's tapping his fingers on the desk. And he's like, guess what? We're like, well, I don't know. Why'd you bring us down here? Your OCAP scores came in for year number two. And he looks at us. He goes, you three morons scored worse than you did last year. <laughs> All the study that we did. Are you serious? <laughs> I was waiting for you to say, like, you guys crushed no, it. And- so once again, not a great board taker. <laughs> But, you know, Dr. Rubin and I, we always had a special relationship because he knew I worked my butt off. I was there early. I was there late. I mean, I excelled in our program like you can't believe. But once again, it wasn't a great like board test taker. And I ran into him at one of our annual meeting, mid-year meeting, like five or six years ago. And I just put my arm around him and I said, Dr. Rubin, you know, I may not be a great board taker. But I can sure as hell get a cataract out of an eye. <laughs> oh, and, and he just hugged me. He goes, Zim, I know, I know you had those surgical <laughs> skills, man. I had no no doubts. But yeah, it was it was quite wow. the uh we were not the academic residents that you know a lot of people are. And I think it just goes to show you, I mean, any combination can get you to where you need to be. Yeah. And, you know, so once again, I never gave up. I just kept pounding. I kept grinding. Like, just don't stop. Like, you know, we're going to get through this. And, um, you know, like you, I mean, you, you know, you excelled in your specialty and you excelled in your boards. And I think that there's a lot to be said about those. I, I don't think people realize how difficult those exams are and who you're up against. And we probably didn't even do that bad on our boards. Just there are so many nerds in ophthalmology. I mean, we are like the nerdy profession. You know, I mean, there was a book my uncle was showing me. It was like a picture book. And they depicted all different specialties with a picture. And the orthopedics or the um, general surgeon, all tired, bags under his eyes, holding a cup of coffee, smoking a cigarette. They show the orthopedic surgeon. He's standing there all buffing a jock strap. Yeah. <laughs> and then they show... The ophthalmologist sitting there with a pocket protector, glasses with tape around it, you know, just the total thick glasses nerds. So, you know, we're the nerds. So we were the nerds. Um, but Well, it takes all types, though, right? Takes all types. But yeah, that was, um, yeah, I'll never forget those meetings with Dr. Rubin about our boards. Yeah, that was pretty fun. I'm kind of thirsty. Very thirsty. L- little beverage break? Yeah. Yeah, let's do a beverage break. So while I'm, while I'm doing this... Um, I remember the first time I met you, but do yeah. you remember the first time you met me? Yes. Yes. You wanna you wanna tell your version of that story? Yes. Well I'm, I'm Yeah. Yeah. The the um we were at the Cockwa Club and our wives kind of connected because they were both from the same area of Detroit. And, you know, 
or suburban Detroit, and then started realizing, hey, you know, Ryan and Matt need to meet. You know, they're both from similar backgrounds, and they both, you know, trained up here, and, you know, we got to get these two together. And I think you were, I was at, I was at the club. I think we were at the swimming pool or doing something. I think you were home. I think you were just kind of relaxed and watching golf or something on your back. You know, definitely was. And um, we got together and I think we just, you came over to the club, I think. Yeah. It it was kind of like the first time that I met, met Bill Spiros and he was on this already. So yeah, it was one of those Karen's at the club with the boys. She's like, Oh, you got to meet this guy. You you would have so much in common. Yeah. Um, And I was just like, Karen, I'm tired. I'm just, I I, I was watching golf. I was just like, I'm not really in the mood to like put forth any energy right now and and meet anybody. And that sounds horrible. Uh, But I was like, all right. And she was kind of giving me a rough time. And I I came over and they had like bounce houses. Cause I think it was like the end of the season. Yeah. Was that what it was? Like the, yeah. Summer blowout or something at the pool. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, we just kind of started talking and kind of hit it off. And then I think the next thing we know, we're like, you know, having some drinks, having some cocktails, hamming it up, you know, came over. I think we came over to your place for a little bit. Then we go over to my place for a little bit. And it turned uh, into a multi-hour evening. Yeah. What was going to be like a five minute meet and greet turned into like like the the Gilligan's Island version of uh, (laughs) a first meet. Yeah. I mean, we were on the long multi-hour tour right there, but it was fun. I think we connected on a lot of things and saw a lot of similarities. And I think that you know, I was maybe a few steps ahead of you just because I had been in practice longer, but we both like were on very similar trajectories with our careers and how we really got to be doing what we were doing as physicians. And um, I actually, I mean, it was a very similar situation. You know, I think we were both just impressed at the similarities between where you ended up and where I ended up. Yeah. And our paths were similar. I mean, both training in Metro Detroit, both very, very uh, private practice oriented, committed, very yeah. entrepreneurial, yeah. which I don't think a lot of like people that are not in medicine really can appreciate that that's not that common, right? Like being like, an entrepreneurial physician, it's like those two words generally don't go together. Yeah. And or business minded. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's usually a lot of failures there. Um, but I think you saw, like I did, you know, um, you know, three years of residency did a year fellowship in advanced cataract and refractive surgery, which really refined and polished my skills. And, you know, going out on the job hunt for, for medicine is not, thanks Ryan. Yeah. It's not, um, it's not easy. It's a daunting task, you know, traveled all over the country looking at different positions and locations and would have stayed in Metro Detroit because really, really enjoyed it up there. Um, But it was like, it was ground zero for the mortgage crisis. The auto industry tanked. We're like 2006, 2007. Like the whole, the whole place was just coming apart at the seams. Right. And um, cheers. Yeah. By the way, this is a uh, 2017 Brunello de Montalcino. It's a uh, Camigliano. I've never oh. had this particular one, but um, Must be Italian. I, I am a, a huge Brunello fan. You know me; I love my old world. So beautiful. I'm gonna just tell you the cork was a little juicy, even on the outside. Oh the boy! Top, so yeah, this could be really good or really bad. We'll, we'll, we'll find, find out. out real quick here since it's corked or not. It's not skunked, <laughs> is it? <laughs> <laughs> It's not sweating turning into grape juice. <laughs> Is it or no? Let me take sometimes it takes a sip or two. 
let it breathe for a minute. Yeah, I mean, it's a 2017. This you, you, a lot of people would decant this too. Yeah, yeah let it not, breathe. Not let it open up a little bit. Not bad though. No. So let it open up. All right, we're gonna get on to the next section. You know, we talked about the questions. So yes, you're gonna ask me three professional questions, uh, questions, and then three personal questions. Um, ground rules are two. Yeah. Um, you and I both can veto one question. Okay. I will tell you, you are episode six. So of the five previous uh, guests that I've hosted, no one's vetoed a question. So, oh. Um, no pressure. Oh right? No pressure. Huh. And uh, just remember, parents are probably watching, kids are watching. So take the training wheels off. You can ask whatever the hell you want to ask. Yeah, got it. So we, we've had some embarrassing stuff. Yeah. Uh, Matt, Matt has not seen any of the episodes yet, but... no. You definitely got to watch the first two. Um, th- those are the only two that have actually aired so far, but there's some pretty classic, funny some stuff. Pretty good there. stuff out there. So, okay. so fire away. So professional questions first. I would say, what do you find most rewarding about replacing a hip or a knee? You know, I always joke with my patients, and I say, you know, good news. Um, you're not going to die from this, right? You're, yeah. you're not going to die from hip yeah. or knee arthritis. I've never had a patient die from that. Bad news, it's a progressive degenerative condition. It's going to get yeah. worse with time. It's just like a car tire that's lost the tread, that's now flat, that's now um, you know, running on the rim, and the rim is starting to bend. Um, so I, I never tell a patient, you need to have a hip or knee replacement. You'll tell me when you're ready for it. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, the most rewarding thing is, is honestly when they come back in, it's usually pretty quick too. Yeah. Three weeks, not all the time, but but six weeks, or if I see people out in the community, um, it, it's probably the very same for you. When, yours is probably more immediate though. I mean, because yours like you go it's in, you come out. Yeah. Whereas mine, there's quite a bit of recovery from the insult of the operation itself. But yeah. just the, the hugs, the embraces, and seeing these people get back to doing what they did before yeah um and and getting back to being able to play with their grandkids being able to just simple things like going out to dinner with their spouse yeah. it's a de- um, debilitating and, condition and and they just say like you've given me my life back and, yeah. and they'll oftentimes joke they'll be like i had one lady literally brought herself to tears brought myself to tears where she said i know you said that you've never saved a life she goes but you did yeah and she was that down and out depressed mentally emotionally and what was uh on the verge of suicide. Oh boy. Um, I mean, it was kind of a powerful moment when she told me that. And it, it had me reflect because I joke about what I do. I'm just like, I'm just a carpenter, right? I use power tools and I work on bone and I put metal and plastic in. But um, when you really sit back, I'm sure you do the same times when you can reflect on it. You're like, this is pretty a big deal. Like, like we, we do help these people. We're able to get them back to physical activity and just enjoying life again. So to me, that's the most rewarding. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. And it is debilitating. You, I mean, we have a lot of crossover and I mean, patients that can't even get out of their exam chair, you know, because their hip or their knees are in such bad shape. Yeah. Then I'll see them six months later, you did their hip or their knee and they're like, oh my God, I'm bouncing around like a, you know, I don't even know what chimpanzee, around, like chimpanzee, maybe bounce, yeah. maybe like an orangutan or something. Yeah, something like that. Something that bounces. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. Kangaroo. Kangaroo. Bounce around like a kangaroo with a pouch. So <laughs> pouch. <laughs> All right, so question number two. For you. Yeah, what, so you're going to fire six at me. You've had a tremendous trajectory of growth over the past several years. You know, I've, I've watched it. I'm proud of you. I, you know, very proud of what you've accomplished because I know it is not easy. 
And, you know, I've seen a tremendous trajectory there. What do you think has been like one of the, and it's probably not just one, but were there, was there one decision that you would say that you've made that's really helped you with your trajectory in your career as an orthopedic surgeon? Um, you know, it, it's hard to give you one thing. Um, cause I think it comes down to number one, my personality, right. Mm-hmm. Which is very, very similar to yours. Yeah. Um, I always had that never give up. Um, it, and it, failure is not an option and just my competitive spirit. Like to yeah. me, I, I always joke, but I'm, I'm dead serious when I say second place is the first loser. So, yeah. um, and, and I just, my goal is to provide that ultimate experience to my patients. And, um, I think probably the decision that made the most sense and was most impactful was when Karen and I decided to come back to Pennsylvania because yeah. I was in practice in Michigan for five years. Yeah. Um, I was, I was ramping up quickly there, but it was a very, I was a small fish in a big pond, right? There, yeah. there was a lot yeah. of orthopedic surgeons there. There were things that I was doing that no one else was doing. Anterior hips, no one in Metro yeah. Detroit was doing it. People yeah. thought I was crazy. Uh, but when I came here, it was nice because I was able to, people knew me. Yeah. And I was um, essentially taking over a practice from Dr. Frendak, who was extraordinarily busy. And there was just an immediate trust because people knew me, people knew my family. But I think it was really just planting my roots um, yeah. kind of in the Meadville area and just kind of sticking with my my guns of just like first class service from start to finish. Yeah, yeah no, and that, that's that's very meaningful. And I think it probably was a decision for you to make that was very important because you probably were an employment type model in a group in Michigan, if I recall. Yeah. And, you know, making the decision to come back into town where you knew you could take the reins of a practice from somebody who was probably starting to slow down and you could take that and you could build on it was, was probably, yeah, that's a big decision. I went through this similar process, you know, with, with what I did, but that, yeah, that would be a very, very meaningful decision. Yeah. And I think when I broke away from the practice that I originally joined in Meadville, um, was, was risky. People would say to me, it wasn't a risk cause I was betting on myself Yeah. that, that now that I think about it, that was probably the most impactful thing that I did. Was yeah. I, that's right. I just, just, about that. just starting my yeah. own practice literally from scratch yeah. and yeah. building it. Yeah. And because right. I could do it the way that I wanted to do it. Yeah. It was the first time I was really truly autonomous and free. Yeah. I forgot about that step when you came in that, that, that was probably the, the decision that was. you think if that would have gone a different way, something different could have happened. Yeah. Um, just like those little things that we talked about earlier about, yeah. you know, my grandfather, grandfather. Took one hit and it probably wouldn't even be here. Yeah. You wouldn't um, be sitting here, you know, but I mean, that goes for anything. Somebody get hit by a car and that's, you know, I'd be talking to another nerd that's yeah, doing ophthalmology. Some guy maybe that got a little better board scores, <laughs> but, but, but or, nowhere near know. as fun as you, yeah, Matt. You know, that's I mean, you. <laughs> you know, it's fun. It's fun. Um, so yeah. And professionally, um, you know, how did you make the decision? Because this is always interesting to me. And we've touched on a little bit, but maybe just a little bit more depth. Like orthopedics covers a huge amount of territory. I mean, huge. I mean, what are there, like 10 or 12 bones in the human body or something? Maybe 15. But... Okay, that's what I thought. Um, so how'd you pick hip and knee? Yeah, so originally, you know, once I kind of knew I wanted to do ortho, I was an athletic trainer in undergrad, so I was always mm. very drawn to sports medicine, okay. um, athletics, and I was like, "All right, I, I want to do um, sports medicine." Yeah, right. I want to do arthroscopic surgery. So I was pretty good arthroscopically as a resident. Um, it's a it's its own kind of beast of a learning curve because you're using your hands 
while working yeah. and triangulating into a joint where the instruments are, you know, a foot away from your hands. Yeah. And you're looking up at a computer screen, like a video. Yes. And left is not, you know what I'm saying? Up is down, down, yeah. down is up, it's left not is right. coordinated people. It's not. And so that was very fun for me to do those operations. Yeah. Um, but they were soft tissue operations. And, okay. you know, you were sewing degenerative tendons back to bone that I, I didn't, when I came out of the cases, I didn't feel like, that. Ah, this is really going to work well. Yeah. I'm like, oh, like it was, it was just bad biology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, there were some fun cases you're doing ACLs on young athletes, but I also saw that those ACLs went on to get knee replacements like almost all the time. Wow. Not immediately, but 15, 20, 30 years down the road. And when I started doing, I, I really like trauma. So, I mean, oh. there are so many different fields of orthopedics, right? Yeah. Oh, you've got yeah. pediatrics, you've got spine, you've got hand, you've got sports, you've got foot and ankle, you've yeah. got tumor, total joints. Um, I mean, the list goes on and on. But the two that I really, really liked were trauma and were total joints. Okay. What I liked about both of those, the similarity was the immediacy and and, and it was very concrete. The bone was broken. I fixed it. Yeah. It's going to take some time for it to heal, but like yeah. it's like putting a puzzle together. Sure. It's, it's fixed. Yeah. Very different from the beginning of the op- operation to the end. Mm-hmm. And you knew it was probably going to heal. Total joints, the, the knee or the hip is arthritic. I come in, I remove the arthritic uh, joint. I replace yeah. it. Almost immediate relief, especially with hips. Uh, but there's that recovery period, but they do so well. What I didn't like about trauma was the uh, unpredictability with it. I didn't like being woken up at two in the morning. Yeah, and Here and I mind. get a little anxious with that kind of stuff. I can do. I'm a workhorse, so I, I do high volume, um, and I have no problem with that. But I like to know what my schedule looks like. Sure. So I can mentally prepare for it. I don't like to be thrown things out of the blue and makes um, sense. Yeah. Know that I could have two cases or I could have eight cases. Yeah. Tomorrow, depending upon what came in on call. Yeah, and that's. Yeah, that's that's I hear you on that. And by the way, hip replacement is by far and away the most successful operation on planet Earth. Wow. And 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 knee replacement is not far behind it. Yeah. And hip replacement was termed the surgery of the century because people just do so well. They get better. They kind of forget that they had a hip replacement. Yeah. And um, it's just it's predictable. Yeah. You know, and I think that you're right on with that. And um, yeah, I mean, you're 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 sub specializing in something that you can be very impactful and same thing. You can hone in on two joints, big joints, but you can get really good at those, refine your skills and just be a master of your craft. Yeah, not, not the jack of all trade. That doesn't work for me. Yeah. And I get it on the trauma. Like there's a, um, there's a, there's an adrenaline rush. I mean, yeah. even when we were covering, you know, we covered multiple trauma centers in inner city Detroit, it was never ending. There was a, quite the feeling of doing those kinds of cases and it's, it's very very exciting but i don't know how sustainable it is as a, in a career and a family and kids and all that kind of you know yeah and kind of like you were saying too with even just ent right you're working in the mouth you're working in the ears you're working mm-hmm. in the nose like you could be working on a foot then you're putting a proximal humerus shoulder fracture back together yeah. then you're doing a tibial plateau fracture then you're doing a hip fracture then you're doing a clavicle fracture so you had to know a lot about a lot yeah. Right? And, and and probably we're never going to get super good because how many clavicle fractures are you going to really get a year? Right? Yeah. <clears throat> Versus hip and knee, you, the devil's in the details. And I felt like every it, to this point, like when I do an operation, each time that I'm opening a hip or knee up, 
I want it to be the best hip that I do, and I want it to be the best knee that I do. Yeah. I, I want to get better than I did the day before. Yeah, that's great. You're constantly challenging yourself to be better. Yeah. You know, new techniques. You have to be critical with that because there's a lot of junk that comes out that will get pushed at you through journals and other, you know, forms of uh, education. You have to decide, is this better than what I'm doing? Is it going to be an advantage to my patient, or is it just baloney? And you got to yeah. kind of cycle through all that stuff. But you continue to refine your technique too. Constantly changing. Every every I to say to my staff, to my patients. Yeah. You know, if I'm doing what I'm doing right now in five years, I'm doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I got to constant constantly be evolving and yeah. and improving. And I mean, you've probably hit on this, but I mean, I'm proud of you from the standpoint that you are <coughs> at the top of your game. I mean, I would you're probably in the top one percent of hip and knee. You know, I mean, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I I think so. I would imagine, right? I mean, that's just a testament, and you're not sounding arrogant because it's just it's a testament to the hard work and everything that you've put into it and the outcomes that you've achieved. You know, your average guy probably knocks out you know a couple joints a week or something, and you're doing multiples and multiples of that. It's not because you're surgery happy, like you said. It's because you do good work, you get good results, and people come to you for that reason. And that's why you're successful at what you do. And I think it's important that people understand that because outsiders may look at this and say, well, Dr. Molly's doing all these things and joints, but you're not doing it because you're trying to generate revenue. You're doing it to help people. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, that's what we focus on is helping people. And those other things come with time. You don't focus on those things, Yeah, you know, but people don't understand that you're, you're a hardworking guy and you're doing this to help people. And that's what we focus on. It's, It's so funny you bring that up because I think it was Jared's episode that we talked about that. I said, People that focus on the dollar or revenue are going to fall short. Absolutely. Almost 100% of the time. They're focusing on the wrong thing. By focusing on the process and and, and for me taking care of patients, that stuff just naturally happens. You got it. It, It's it's the people are putting the wrong focus on on the wrong things. You got it. And they falter. And, you know, Edward J. Zim Sr., my grandfather, his motto was, you practice good medicine and the rest will come. Yep. And at the end of the day, place. that's what you do. You take care of your patients, you get good <clears throat> outcomes, and those other things come with time. And um, so, yeah, no, I respect what you've Amen. done there. And, and that that's that's meaningful. And I think it's important for people that are listening to this podcast that aren't in medicine to understand those kinds of things. That, you know, we're you're just trying to help people. I'm just trying to help people. We've come to a point where, yes, you're at the top of your game. I'm at the top of my game. But it's because of the way we take care of our patients and the outcomes that we get that that we do that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think it's just it's an awesome thing to, you know, be able to talk to you and talk about these things because we kind of both get it. Yeah. We're in the same trenches every day helping people. And it just it's a great it's a great feeling at the end of the day. You know, Amen, really buddy. yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. So we um, want to shift and do some personal questions. Yeah. Yeah. Let me think of some personal questions here. Huh? <laughs> um. Oh God! You can keep it funny too, light. Yeah, good questions. Embarrassing, whatever. So, um, are you done having children? (laughs) It's funny. I was talking about this (laughs) yesterday to my one of my staff, and and I said, you know what? She was saying how her uh, child is seven years old. She's like, I don't know, because one of our X-ray techs just had a second baby. Okay. And and I said, how's Gina doing? How's the baby doing? Oh, they're doing great. She goes, you know what? 
She goes, I, I said, I don't miss, I miss those days, but I don't miss those days because yeah. of all the stuff. And, yeah. and Karen was great. She did all that, like changing yeah. diapers. Yeah. I would change wet diapers. I just didn't do the, the poopies. poopies. Yeah. The poops. And if she would leave me alone at home, I was like, uh, it's got another half hour. It's, mm. it's, it may go more, right? I don't want to take yeah, it off prematurely. Not, no. But um, up until a couple of years ago, I was literally all in for a fourth. Whoa. And um, Karen, we were on a, a vacation, just the two of us. Yeah. And I think it was our, actually our 10 year wedding anniversary. So it was five years ago. And we were, contem- but we're at the point now where she'll joke, she'll say, Yeah, my eggs are all dried up and yeah. um, shriveled. So, but. It'd be nice to have a girl. Sure. Um, the two girl dogs, I guess, are going to have to be as <laughs> good as it gets for me, though. It is different. Yeah, there's a different bond there. It's just as a dad with daughters, it's a, you know, not that sons and everything aren't great, but, you know, there's 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 a little bit of a different daddy-daughter bond and a protective feature there that, but yeah, you can feel that way, you know, yeah. about your sons, too. And, um but yeah, so that's good. That's a that's a great answer to that. Now I know that you also do you like to travel, and mm-hmm. I know COVID put a dent in that for everybody. But of all the places you've been, is there one place that you would say you derived in, not your favorite place, but I want to know a place that inspired you? Yeah, um, yeah, I have traveled a ton, and I've been to multiple European countries. I've been to Italy gosh, probably six times. Um, and that, that's where my father's family is from. So every time I go there, there's something very special about it because it, it just, I I feel almost like a gravitational pull towards it. Yeah. And, um, when we went this, this past October for, for two weeks, I took my parents. Um, it was just one of those very, very special moments. Um, definitely not my favorite place that I'd ever been. Yeah. Um, but it was where my grandfather grew up. Okay, in, in Tuscany, and this was he, your dad's. My dad's dad, Sant, Santi. Okay, um, he came over when he was nineteen years old. Never, okay. never saw his parents again. But he grew up on the top of a mountain. Never saw his parents again. No, just immigrated to the United States and that was <clears throat> by it. himself. Yep. Wow. Um, he, through he, Ellis Island. Through Ellis Island, his his brother Enyo did come over probably fifteen to twenty years later okay. after World War Two. My grandfather came over in nineteen thirty one. Okay. And I think Enyo came over uh, mid to, to late 40s, early 50s. Yeah. And they reunited. But when I went to like his hometown, which there's no permanent residence anymore. Yeah. So all these abandoned homes. Wow. There's some vacation, but it's on the top of a mountain. It takes forever to get to. Yeah. There's no stores. There's no restaurants. There's wow. nothing. But the reason that I kind of picked that is what really inspired me was just how simple his life was. Mm. And he really just wanted to do something and make something better of his life and wow. took a, a massive risk um, and and went out of his comfort zone to to leave and come over here. Didn't know any English when he came over. Wow. That's and, impressive. Um, you know, just to be in that spot, we got to see the house that he grew up oh, in. Oh, wow. Got wow. to see my great-grandfather's, um, His it, it was a, it's in a mausoleum, so his, his burial kind of chamber, if you yeah. will, with his photo on it. And, you know, to share that with my dad, like we literally looked in and took a step inside this house that was, you know, all made of stone, some wood beams. It was still standing, but no one had lived in it for probably 20, 30 years at least. Wow. So, and and my boys were there too. So it was just like multi-generations and you just kind of felt like mm. just this like very... Hits you. Yeah. It was just, just one of those visceral types of things where you're just like, wow, this is where it started. 
Wow. That's yeah, that's pretty impactful. Yeah. And that inspires you to say, hey, this is once again, this is, that was your roots. Yeah. Like he didn't come over here. Something happened to him on the way. Yeah. There is no me. There's no you. There's there's no right. Our family. So yeah. It's very impactful. It's very meaningful. <laughs> and it gives me purpose too to just like um never give up, right? Because yeah. like everything that he did and sacrificed so that he could make a better life for himself and then eventually his family and then eventually my dad and my dad's family and then myself and our family. So, yeah. and I want to pass that on to my boys. Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. And it's very impactful, very meaningful. And I think that your boys will look back on that too someday. They may not fully appreciate it right now, but someday they'll look back on that and say, wow, you know, yeah. this was, this was something. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of, kind of with that, um, you know, <laughs> like, where do you see yourself? Um, you know, what's I had a couple questions in mind. I'm trying to think of which one I want to ask you the most. If it's a future question, we can save that to the end. Okay, save that. To yeah, the like, end. where do you see yourself in five or ten years? I always kind of close with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so another question that I have is, you know, I've always considered myself to be hardworking, dedicated, driven, and motivated. But I look at you. And I feel lazy at times. And I say to myself, like, where? So it takes grit and it takes force to achieve what you have achieved. And kind of similar to your travel, but like what what drives and motivates you and what inspires you? Because I think not only as a surgeon, but as a person, like there's not a lot of people that have achieved what you've achieved, not just in medicine, but in life. And, you know, I've seen just in the years that I've known you, tremendous growth in your career, but also in your personal life and in what you've done and what you've created, like what drives and motivates you? Yeah. As um, a person. It, 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 it stems from my parents, right? And, and my father was the ultimate workhorse and... Um, I mean, he was waking us up at five in the morning in the summer Okay, and we were out playing basketball for a couple hours. I grew up on a farm and then we were doing hay, uh, for, for to feed the cows. Wow. We were out, uh, in the woods cutting wood cause my parents would heat and still heat their house with wood today. Okay. Um, so there was a tremendous amount of work ethic that was instilled at a very young age. Yeah. You know, my sisters, I have three older sisters. They always joke. They said, you never did chores. You never did this. You never did that. I'm like, yeah, right. You guys were gone and out of the house when I was doing the majority of the work that you guys didn't see. Yeah. And, you know, I think they would joke, they'd say, you always said you had to do homework. And I, and I didn't really, uh, unlike you, I, I didn't put much emphasis into my studies until I got further along. Sure. But to me, it's just like, I hate to lose. And I, it. I, I, it just it's ever like since a young, it, yeah, yeah. It, you just know, wasn't. it just wasn't an option. And I'm not saying that I haven't lost cause I've lost a lot. Absolutely. Right? Same um, here. But that being said, it's just that that taste of defeat. Um, it just kind of motivates me to work harder. Okay. And, you know, I've never, like, to me, mediocrity is not in my vocabulary. Yeah. I, I If I'm going to do something, I'm, I'm going to do it big. Sure. Whether it's building an office, whether it's building a practice, whether it's building a family, building a house, building a, um, you know, going on vacation. It's just like, life is short. Yeah. I'm going to enjoy this. Yeah. I'm not going to be stupid, but I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to give it everything I have. 
Yeah. I'm enjoy the fruits of my labor. Cause I think a lot of times people, they get so sucked into their work and their jobs sure. that they can't enjoy it. Yeah. And that is far from the truth with me. I mean, yeah. you know that. Yeah. Like, no, I, I, I can, I admire that quality in you. To yeah. Be able I to can unplug that. with the best of them, but as soon as I unplug and get kind of like that out of my system, it's like, all right, let's go again. Let's, let's get back on that. Yeah. That treadmill and start yep. grinding again. So you're, yeah, I mean, I, and I get it. You, you, so at the end of the day, it's just, you hate defeat and you want to do everything you can to make sure that you, like you said, it happens, but yeah. you're motivated, which makes, that's it, good, it's like a fear of failure. Yeah. And, okay. um, it's always been there and always will be there. And, it's almost like a blessing and a curse because, you know, sometimes I'll just speak for professionally, right? Like if a case doesn't go as well as I, I want sure. it to go and a patient doesn't do as well, and they get very frustrated and they think that somehow, some way I did that personally, like yeah. that, that I enjoy that or maybe not enjoy it, but like that I don't, that it doesn't bother me. And it's like, boy, they don't know me yeah. at all. No. Cause you I lose that sleep over yeah. it and yeah. I come home and I tell my wife and I'm just, I feel horrible, um, whether or not it was something that was in my control or out of my control. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, I try to learn from every situation so that I don't make that same mistake sure. again. Yeah. And it's tough. Sometimes you can go down that rabbit hole in surgery because you have a lot of variables and your surgeries are probably way less predictable as well, because you're dealing with comorbidities and things that come up that you just, you have to deal with when you're in there. And you can't always prepare for that. And, but you do the best that you can, but yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, you can beat yourself up over those things, but I think the way that you're wired and you're, you're motivated and driven, you know, you, you care about your patients. Like, like we should as physicians, That's I, I treat every it. patient as if they were my mom or my dad. Absolutely. Absolutely. Every single time. Yeah. And I think that that's a quality that you don't find every day and it's kind of, it's it's in there in you and it's what <coughs> makes you who you are and it, why it makes you excel as a surgeon so yeah. you know i think that that's 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 big that's big time stuff right there it's important for people to understand those things for sure um you know and they don't get to see that side of you i mean i know that they do to a certain extent but when you're getting pulled in a thousand different directions in the course of a day and you can only dedicate so much time and so much effort to every item you you, you know you get sometimes it gets lost yeah. so um, it but, to them maybe seems like it gets brushed under the, the rug, but it doesn't. Yeah. I can assure you of that. Yeah. No, you, yeah. And those things do keep you up at night. You want the best results for your patients. And, um, yeah, it's just interesting talking to you and seeing all these similarities and how we practice and how we approach our patients and how we care for our patients. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's meaningful. I mean, that's, that's good yeah. stuff. I mean, it's a, it's a serious topic and a serious discussion. And those are some great answers right there. You ready to turn the table? Yeah, let's do it. So we need Boom. to get, get you a little bit more wine. Yeah, let's, it, and it opened up. It doesn't taste like grape juice. It opened up a little bit. It's very tasty. This is from the, the mother country, too. Yeah, so this is good. The mother region. This is from Tuscany. Beautiful. So, Thank you again. You're welcome. So first business-related question. Yeah, so, let's do it. Let's hit it. Hit uh, it up. Hit it up. I've known a lot of physicians along the way. I've met a yeah. lot of physicians along the way, and I've met a few that I honestly respect for kind of their business um, savvy. But you are at the top of that list for me. Thank you. Um, Appreciate that. I think I know a little bit of this answer based upon kind of your introductory. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize 
how many physicians you had on your dad's side of the family. It's a lot. And I didn't realize how influential. I knew your, your grandfather and your uncle had the clothing store, but like it. To, now that I'm hearing this all, it's so interesting to see that you had those two things. And I think that they've truly blended beautifully for you Thank to you. make your practice like the premier ophthalmology practice Thank you. in the tri-state area. Thank you. What would you say or who would you say was, uh, it doesn't have to be a person, but or it could be a thing or a concept or a belief, but is there a person that kind of like helped really shape your business savvy? <clears throat> that is a good question. You know, from a business savvy standpoint, um, so yes, okay, so you collect different things from what you've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never really understood the business aspects of medicine from what I grew up with. That was just something that I saw patient care. I'd say probably one of the more business savvy was probably <laughs> my uncle Jeff. That's my dad's brother, Jeff Sim, the ophthalmologist in Naples. And then my uncle Richard Maloney, um, who was an ear, nose, and throat physician in Erie, kind of took over my grandfather's practice. And then ultimately he evolved and ended up completing his training in, in facial plastics and ended up moving to Naples. Those were probably the two more, I mean, they all did it good, but those, those two are probably more the business savvy family members when it came to medicine. But I can tell you this, I didn't like, I saw what they did, but I didn't get any like pearls or a lot of feedback from them. I'll be honest with you. It a lot of it was just within, but like I, I just trained myself. It was on the job. It was on the job. Yeah. I mean, when I, so Doctor Stam, my predecessor, started our practice in 1979, grew a very nice cataract practice, and he was kind of you know hit his peak and was involved in a lot of different business ventures. And the practice was kind of like he was taking a little bit more time off, starting to slow down, looking for a partner. <laughs> And, and that's when we kind of, you know, linked up and, and, you know, when I looked at different things, I knew that this opportunity would be fantastic for me to take over an existing practice that had a great reputation, but, you know, kind of just, it's, it's humming along, but was ready for new life. And, and, um, when I took it over, it was scary. You know, I took over, I bought a business and took a loan, um, Dr. Stam wanted to lease me the real estate and I asked him if he would sell it to me because I, I didn't really want to have a landlord. I wanted to be the owner. So in it was within the first year of me working with him that you know we decided that he would retire at the end of that first year, which is what he wanted to do and I would take over. So you know I didn't really understand the business aspects of things well at that point, but I knew enough and I had the drive and motivation for what I wanted to do. But I just dug in. I mean, I did everything. I signed every check. I saw every bill. I kept a ledger book. I mean, I literally hand wrote in a ledger book every entry in there from things coming in from insurance companies to checks <coughs> that I had to write to all of these things. And just like anything else, I'd come in early and I'd stay late and made sure that I really understood how this stuff worked. So for me... Once again, it was just hard work learning how to run that business. But I think the entrepreneurial spirit was just, it. it's just within. 
you know, yeah. like all of those family members, whether it was on the sales side of the family, you know, there were a lot of, of business owners there. You know, they all had their own businesses. They were all self-employed. They all worked for themselves. So, you know, I think I saw that growing up, but I never really knew how they did it or what they did. I, I just really learned it on my own. Yeah. And um, thankfully, as I mentioned, my grandfather's philosophy, practice good medicine and the rest will come. I mm -hmm. never chased success. I never chased finances. All I did was do my day-to-day -day work, tried my hardest to keep, you know, good employees in our business and do the best I could to treat my patients like family and get them good outcomes. And that's all that I did. You just, you don't chase success. You just work hard and success comes with time. Yeah. So yeah, I think that it was just, it was really some, some internal drive and internal motivation, but I never had a great person that said, this is how you do this. This is how you do that. I just figured it out on my own. Yeah. And sometimes not only is it, um, probably the most rewarding way of doing things, right? Cause it was the same thing with me. Never took a business class. Right. There was never any of my, my fellowship mentors were very, very business savvy, but yeah. they never taught any of that stuff. Sure. I just kind of observed it sure. from a periphery. And then as I got into practice, I was like, and I didn't realize that I would like it as much as I did, but yeah. as I've gotten more into it, I'm like, boy, this, the business side of things is actually pretty interesting. It's pretty exciting. It, yeah. And, and building something, right. And creating yeah. something. So second question I have for you is, um, if you were not going to be an ophthalmologist, mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to take, I'm not going to allow you to pick anything in medicine. Yeah. What would you do with your life and your career? Um, so I would say that my inclination, well, I mean, so a couple of things, just a couple, couple <coughs> answers. The, so I always wanted to be in medicine, but my life diverged a little bit at one point. And don't ask me why. I don't know if I watched too much Top Gun, but I wanted to become a fighter pilot. And um, I remember you telling me this. Yes. And to the point or a naval aviator. <coughs> so, you know, um, I diverged a little bit, had an interest in going to the Naval Academy and made a couple trips down there. And, you know, at the time was working to get through to Tom Ridge. He was a congressman. You needed the letter. And after a couple trips down there, um, I decided that it just wasn't me, and I decided to continue my pursuit and my passion for um, medicine. But there was something about protecting our country and being there for our country in a different way that was that was very appealing for me. I just felt a big connection to America, and like I got to protect it. Like there, it was this whole other part of me that was out there that was very very interesting to me. And I just felt like that was a life that I would have really enjoyed. Um, but, you know, definitely things diverged from there. But I, I think the other thing that was very impactful for me is I spent a lot of time in my summers um, volunteering with Habitat for Humanity. And I really enjoyed construction. Um, you could take something from nothing, a pile of dirt, and you could build something and you could create something. And I really, really enjoyed that. Um, Herman Horseman, I believe, is the foreman on these job sites. And with Habitat for Humanity, I was involved with the construction branch where, you know, we would go out and we'd, we'd build homes. We wouldn't just renovate. We would build them and we'd start with the foundation. And, you know, he's like, oh, you seem like a sharp kid. And, you know, so, you know, one summer he taught me how to block basements. So, you know, we were pouring foundations, blocking basements, framing, you know, just he'd, he'd teach me things and I'd learn it. And I really enjoyed that process you have nothing and look at what you just created 
And, you know, I, I have an artistic side as well. I always love art. I love to look at art. I love to be critical of art. I love to interpret art. I, I, I like to draw. I used to draw a lot. I just don't, I, it's something I'd like to re-explore, but I haven't done a lot of it lately. Similar, you create things. And so I really like the construction. And I could have seen myself getting into a career in construction and in, in general contracting where I could build something for somebody that they would just really, really enjoy. And uh, Habitat for Humanity was great because we were doing it for people that were really, really in need. And uh, that was very, really motivating to me to, to help these people. But I, I really liked the trades that I learned along the way. And that would probably have been a career that I would have been really satisfied and really um, fulfilled with. So you would have been amazing at it. Um, I, the more I hear from you, and I knew you had an artistic side. I, I, did you did you know that I was really supposed to kind of go to art school? That's what my guidance counselor was big um, into. No, I don't. Like, I'm going to do that. Drawing, painting. Yeah, like, got some Michael Jordan paintings in in the, mm. the shoe room over there. But um, I always loved to do that kind of stuff. Was always very creative, and the same thing. I love building stuff. I did construction through high school summers, college summers, nice. and always built furniture. And, um, you know, my office project was, that was the first time I built like from, from ground up and was, I mean, I, you were I, very involved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from everything, right? Like yeah. I, I did the initial blueprints. I wasn't drawing structural sure. um, blueprints yeah, and engineering stuff, like that, and but, stuff, but all the other stuff. And, um, you know, I, I, I see the same kind of similarities with you and just like, just looking around this room, just like the little details of when I was designing things with Fred, and he's like, "You want this trim down here?" I'm like, "No, I think I want the cherry down there to contrast the, the herringbone here, and 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 I want the barn wood." And you know, mixing elements to me is like really fun, like things that people wouldn't necessarily think would go yeah. together yeah. with like barn wood and and cherry, right? right? So, but um, and I think that's probably what makes you such a good and meticulous surgeon. And I think the same thing with myself, like I'm, I think of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. There's a lot of science behind it, but there's a tremendous artistic side. Absolutely. To, to surgery as well. It is, it's, it is, it's an art. It's an art. So final business question. Yeah. What would you say you are most proud of with the career that you have built and the practice that you've built? I mean, you've built an ambulatory surgery center. Um, you, I mean, you're always, you know, you, you said, I feel lazy. I was like, dude, you always have a project going on yourself. But what, what would you say? Can can you answer that? Or, or is it just a combination of things? But what what is the one thing that at the end of the day, you're going to be like, wow, this is what I'm probably most proud of? From a career standpoint. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would have to say, I mean, the practice has been fantastic. But... I'm really, really proud of Premier Surgical Center. And I think that the reason that I am most proud of that from a career standpoint <laughs> is because that is something that I took from concept to completion entirely by myself. And, you know, the practice was one thing. It's built, it's grown, and it's been successful, um, secondary to my patients and my staff and everything that they've done to, to make this because I can't do it alone. The surgery center was just, you know, something that I dig dug in on my own. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from start to finish, I was involved in every part of that process, even from acquiring the land. There was an area that I wanted to be in, but the land, I didn't know if we'd be able to fit what I needed to fit in there. And there was a huge drop off to the land. So 
I had to get civil engineering involved from day one. And I'm like, guys, this is what I want to do here. But before I buy the land, can I fit this here? I had to almost design the damn surgery center before I bought the land to know if the surgery center could fit on the piece of land. So, you know, the level of detail. And by the way, you got an amazing, you are in like premier location. Thank you. No, no. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. You know, and I didn't realize the visibility that we would have there. And it's the type of business where, you know, we don't, I mean, we don't really need visibility because patients are going there. Cause I say, this is where, this we is go. where I do my operations, but right? it's nice to have the visibility there, but it's not like a McDonald's or a Tim Hortons where you want the visibility, but it, it ended up being way more visible than I had thought. But you know, every step of that process, I was involved. And then, you know, we hit major, major hurdles like COVID hit in, you know, November, December of 2019. I had just purchased my land and I had just started in the design and development work. And the next thing you know, COVID gets to the US and it is a disaster. Like we don't know where things are heading. There's unknowns. This is a respiratory disease. People are getting really sick. People are dying. And, you know, we made the decision to close our practice to routine stuff on I think March 13th of 2020. And, you know, I'm like, I have this massive project that I am well underway on. The land has been purchased. I'm working with my architects and my engineers to get this thing going. We shut the practice down. Nobody knew what the hell was going on. People are like, are you going to stop the process? I mean, what, like, what, what are you doing? Like, everything has come to a stop. And um, I said, well... You know, if you look at history and you look at pandemics and you look at viruses and what happens, I mean, this is probably going to be with us for a while, but I'm definitely not hitting the skids. Like I am staying full throttle on this the best that I can. Nobody knows what tomorrow is going to bring. But during our shutdown from March 13th of 2020 to May 18th, I just busted my butt with my engineering team and my architecture team every day on Zoom meetings because everybody was at their houses. You had time. Yeah, right? I had the time. So, you know, you make, you know, you, you make hay. And, yeah. you know, so I worked my butt off to focus on those things and those elements while we were shut down. And then, like, you know, we reopened on May 18th back to surgery. But, I mean, there were still unknowns. I mean, there's no vaccines. People are sick as dogs. People are dying. And then we got through the architecture and engineering process and it was like, we now have to start construction. And, you know, that was difficult selecting contractors when nobody could get the, so all this process is going Supplies. on. I mean, cause I was Supplies. building my building at the same yeah, time. Yeah, you know what was going on. I mean, it was like, oh my God. I mean, you couldn't even get a friggin' window, you know? So yep. hats off to my contractors, Rob Doyle at Frontier General Contracting to get everything on track the best they could they're dealing with labor delays supply issues people sick not coming to work you know i'm just trying to go to work see my patients who knows when this is going to all calm down so and the reason i'm telling you all this is i think that this is probably from a business career standpoint my greatest accomplishment not only setting up the ambulatory surgery center and everything that comes with that but doing it during a frigging pandemic that was really really awful and then, you know, you get the puppy built. That's just the beginning. Yeah. You have to get it, a PA Department of Health. Yep. You have to get Medicare. You have to get accredited. You have to get the insurances. It is like... Yeah, it's not just building the ooh, building. That was I mean, the at the end of the day, you're part. like, this is probably easy compared to what the The easiest obstacles. part of it 
is when I stopped the design and development and the contractors took over. I'm like, there's really nothing I can do at this point. Like, they just need to build it. I mean, yeah. I was there every day making sure that things were getting done the best that I could to plan. And, you know, but then once the doors, you know, or excuse me, once the project was finished, it was like, now it's back full bore. And we're still in COVID. I'm trying to get Department of Health people up here to get us licensed and everybody's in covid mode right they're like ah we're, we're we're, we're short-staffed and we're, no we're shut, staff. shut, shut down so. and i'm like i just want to help my people get their patients get their cataracts <laughs> out like can we get somebody up here please they were very good about it considering the circumstances but you couldn't do step two until you completed step one you can't get medicare until you had the state in there you can't get accredited until you have medicare you can't get insurances yeah there's so, no jumping back and forth like well since this is delayed maybe i can take care of this yeah no because this has to happen first this process went on for years and it was things were delayed because of covid but man i mean i was just barreling i had both guns just blazing like let's go let's go let's go and meanwhile, I'm trying to, you know, take care of family. I'm trying to take care of my patients and take care of what we're doing. Well, this project was just like, boom, boom, boom. And then, you know, so then it was finally 2021. Things were calming down a little bit with COVID and we got Medicare approval. We got our accreditation and then we had to start applying for commercial insurances. So telling you this, because I think a lot of people just see this surgery center and they don't know what went into it. They don't know the it. backstory. And it's like, <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I'm sure I took a couple years off my life getting that thing up and running. <laughs> but, you know, then I look at it now and it's like just today, you know, I was seeing post-ops from, you know, I operate on some days Tuesday, um, but always on Wednesdays and Thursdays and then every other Tuesday and just seeing my post-op patients and they're like, you know, doc, you what a facility you, you have nailed it, there. Right? Like your staff, the facility the efficiency we felt safe there's you know every and it, it's just like i appreciate that you, appreciate you knew that. they would but like it's like it's it's very gratifying to finally hear it and it's i don't need the praises i don't need the commendations but it is good to see people smiling yeah. when they come in my office and i know that this is something that i created from the ground up and now we're able to take care of our patients in a way that nobody else in our region can do it. And it's just, it's been, so of all the things professionally, based on what I went through to get that place up and running, I'd have to say that that was probably the most gratifying thing. Dude, So you were top of the class when it comes thank to you. ophthalmology that was, that was and, something. and all that. So. Something. Thank you. Personal questions. Okay. Well, we, I was bottom of the OCAP scores, though. Just remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Rubin! <laughs> Dr. Did Rubin. you see Tap. his surgery center, fingers. Dr. Rubin? Are you tuning in? Thing. Tapping the fingers. So, anyways, yeah. Yeah. He had really... He was a great surgeon. He had really short little fingers. Oh, really? Yeah, just these little stubby things. But, man, he was... He had really... Did he have a nice tap, though? Yeah, it was good. A nice yeah, cadence? They were, yeah, they were... <laughs> And the poor guy was OCD about cleanliness. And he had it bad. He had it really bad. The poor guy. I mean, he was almost unable to get out of the house. Is it Barry Rubin? Or uh, Michael. Michael. Are they brothers, Barry and Michael? Or They may have been. There was a lot of Rubens up there. They may have been. But the poor guy, I mean, he always had a paper towel in one hand and a cup in the other hand. So he'd use the paper towel to touch the doors. 
in the cup so they wouldn't have to shake people's hands. Oh, poor, he, he had a he had a really bad wow. obsessive he compulsive was planned. He about planned cleanliness. So getting him into the clinic to yell at us because we did bad at our O caps was just a we knew that if he was there early there was a problem. Jeez. In any event, that was just a side note. But the poor guy, yeah, his little fingers. So personal stuff. Yeah, you have an amazing family. Thank you. Wonderful wife. Thank you. Four beautiful children. Thank you. Um, who's your favorite kid? No. I'm, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. They're uh, all they're all special in their own way. Um, you know, my, my question to you is like, do you see your your family? I mean, I think you guys are probably done, right? Is this? Um, yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah, um, yeah. But do you, your kids are so they're they're a little bit younger than ours. I mean, mm-hmm. not. I mean, younger than our oldest. Yeah, but, yeah. You got it. Because Evelyn is the same age as Santino. Yep. Um, Maria is the same age as Luca. Yep. And then you've got two young whippersnapper boys. Yeah. Seven and five. So what, what do you like to do for yourself? And you probably, I think this is gonna be a hard question for you to answer. Yeah. When you're not with them, cause you're so busy professionally. Yeah. You're yeah. so busy as a dad yeah. and your kids are starting to get really get into that busyness. We were talking about how Evelyn's really into basketball and, yeah. and your boys and, and Maria, I'm sure are going to be yeah, doing she's lots getting of activities. Into dance and different things. Um, Do you have any hobbies? I mean, so I'd have to say that my personal life is probably not personal life, but from a personal standpoint, I think I've suffered um, because I've spent so much time on everything else that at times you almost feel like you've lost yourself a little bit because, you know, there's days that I sit back and I'm like, what, like, what do I enjoy? And, you know, it was interesting. I had this, uh, and funny, it's funny and it's interesting. Um, you know, I had this conversation with my accountant um, who I really respect. Great guy, Jim Voss. He's he's actually been a really good role model for me. Actually, I'm I'm glad this came up because he he was a role model for me. I think from a business standpoint, I think Jim just has a great business mind. Um, and he was somebody that whenever I had an issue, I went to like always have a good attorney, always have a good accountant because those are areas that I really don't know and I don't understand. So Jim was a great help for me was setting up my businesses and giving me the guidance as to what I needed to do along with my legal people to establish businesses and how to keep them running. But Jim was a big impact on me from the standpoint of how you can successfully manage a business and things that you need to do to make it successful. So the, the person there I wanted to give a recognition to Jim just retired, but we're, we're still friends and we're still buddies and, you know, get together and, you know, go out to de- eat here and there and, you know, just a good guy. But I would say that one day I was talking to him and I said, I, I like don't do anything for myself. Like I don't like I, I'm not passionate about anything. And he said, Matt, you're you're passionate about business and you're in your businesses and growing your businesses. And 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 he was right on with that. Like I I really, I guess, fortunately or unfortunately, have devoted a lot of myself and a lot of my time to to that. And, you know, so I'm not passionate about fishing. I'm not passionate about golfing. I'm not passionate about really, unfortunately, too many hobbies. And I think that it's not that I'm not a passionate person, but I think that there's been some sacrifices that I've realized that that I've taken 
but I, I'm not complaining. I'm not taking anything back. It's just kind of the way that things have evolved for me. But, you know, I, I, it's the one thing that I can say that I, I don't really know how to relax and I don't know how to have downtime. And, you know, if we're on vacation, it takes me like a week to unwind. And That's why you got to plan like a two week vacation. Seriously. Right? I mean, you know, I'm like, by the time it's, we're getting ready to come home, <clears throat> I'm finally relaxed. And I don't really consider myself to be like a type A or a high strung person, but my wheels are always turning when yeah. it comes to business, Same. like patient care business. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't have a way to shut it off. There, there just isn't. And, you know, so it's constantly, I'm thinking about things and, um, like I said, it's not a complaint, but it's just, it is what it is. So I, I wish that I had something that I was passionate about outside of those types of things, but they're, unfortunately there just really isn't. And, you know, but I, I love what I do. I love, you know, family and my children and the things that we we're able to do together. And I think as the kids are, are growing up, I'm, I'm finding ways to spend more time with them as their hobbies and interests are evolving. And I'm, you know, finding, finding fun in that. I mean, yeah. You know, Evelyn, Maria, Evelyn's 10, Maria is eight, Mason is seven, and Anthony is five. And, you know, they're finding new interests. And, you know, Evelyn, uh, just since we were talking about it, you know, has, has taken up basketball a little bit more. And it's like, geez, you know, three months ago to now, you know, that she's getting ready for the JV team at Our Lady of Peace. Um, like, she's like whipping my butt a little bit out on the basketball court and she's elbowing me and pushing me and boxing me out. I'm like, what the hell happened here? So I think that, you know, I'm trying she, to, she could be a good player too. Cause Tara's tall. You're tall. Yeah. I mean, she could, you may have a college. Yeah. And I mean, athlete I, I'm the kind of person that, you know, my kids, like I want them to be involved in athletics because I think that it helps develop social skills beyond above and beyond what they're doing in yeah. the class, team sports and camaraderie. I think that's so important with development of kids. And I think that, you know, nowadays everybody's on electronics and they're on their computers, which my kids do too. But we make a point of telling them, like, you need to be involved in something. Like, mm -hmm. I don't care what it is, but some team sport. So, you know, but I'm starting to get more involved with their activities. And so that's kind of, but yeah, I mean, I wish, I mean, it, it sounds kind of pathetic that I don't have a great hobby, but I just, I just don't. I do like cars. Um, Cars have been a big thing for me. So I guess that is something that I enjoy. Um, over the years, probably the past decade, I mean, I honestly can't count how many vehicles I have had. And to me, I like to hunt for them. I like to negotiate for them. I like to acquire them. I like to drive them. I love cleaning my cars. And um, so, yeah, you, I you mean. You can clean my cars if you want. Sure, so. bring them out. <laughs> bring them out. We'll get them going. We got to what do we need? Glass clean, whatever you got, we got it. So, but you know, and then there's things like there's things that I'm concepts that I'm working on, things that I want to do that I haven't done yet. That there's a couple things that are kind of in the works peripherally on on my downtime when I'm not, you know, nights and weekends. That I've got a couple different concepts for different businesses that I'd like to look at and entertain. Um, so I'm passionate about that. Like that's something that I love to do. Like. I'm the first to admit to you that I don't succeed at everything that I do, right? And there is times that I have to admit failure and I got to accept it and I got to move on and I got to I got to just learn from it. But, you know, I come up with a lot of different concepts and ideas, 
a lot of which maybe won't take, but you know, you throw it at the wall and if it sticks, great. You got it. So there's things that I'd like to do and things that I'm working on that maybe they'll stick, maybe they won't. But I guess that is something that I'm passionate about is, is stuff like that. So it may be a non-traditional type of hobby where a lot of people say, I want to go out on the lake and I want to walleye fish for four hours today and nobody can talk to me and my cell phone's out of range. Um, I enjoy doing that, but I'm not passionate about it. But I am passionate about these other things and growth and entrepreneurship and looking at other businesses. So I think that that's something that that's fair. It's almost to me therapeutic. Yeah, because I can get involved in those kind of things. And it does <coughs> take me away. This was like a really long answer to your question. But I think I'm coming to grips with the fact that those are things that I really enjoy doing. Other people may see that as a stress point. I actually find it as a relaxation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like it. Um, next question. Let's see here. Um, you didn't realize I can talk this long, did you? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping half, the memory cards that I got, yeah, that, I mean, they have enough be, space there. Being but. half Italian. I mean, did we, is it like, it seems like it's going into the next day. <laughs> do we cross over into a new day? We have to go to the 17 and shoe stretch a little early here. You're like, but. make a note to self try not to interview somebody that has italian background that likes to talk as much as matt does yeah well i mean then it's two of us right right it's gonna eliminate some people but you know we like to talk salute salute chindan so if you could retire tomorrow yeah and i know you won't because i could see myself not retiring yeah. ever in my life yeah. i'm always gonna have to do something but like is there one place on earth that you've been that you could see you and Tara just kind of like, and, and I know you'll always be involved in something, whether it's building businesses or mm -hmm. this or that, but like outside of Erie, Pennsylvania, because I mean, this is always like, I love like the fantasy land of travel. Yeah. Where would you see yourselves going someday? So like for retirement mode, mm -hmm. um, you know, so I am not a huge traveler. I've been to a number of different places. I've never been to Europe. Um, kind of grew up going to the Bahamas because my grandparents had a place down there that we'd go and hang out. Um, so I don't have as many experiences um, internationally, but traveling around the United States in different areas, um, I think I'm going to be the kind of person that doesn't have just, if, if I'm fortunate enough to do so, not just one place. Yeah, it's like, like a seasonal type of thing. Yeah, I love the Carolinas. Like <coughs> I love the Charleston area. I was going to say, I, I'm going to guess Charleston for you. Yeah, South Carolina. Um, in the Charleston area in particular, I like the culture. I like the restaurants. That's huge, um, isn't it? The history. And I do love the ocean. I think there's something just mesmerizing about the ocean. And therapeutic. Therapeutic. You know, the Great Lakes are great, and there's a lot of awesome stuff about freshwater but there's, there's mystery to me in the oceans. And I've always had an interest in like, um, as a kid, who, who isn't like pirates and shipwrecks and yeah. looking for gold. And there's a lot of that type of history in the Carolinas. And um, I like the climate. You know, it's an area that it gets hot in the summer and it gets humid. Hence why you have some place for... Summertime, you got probably. it. So, you know, maybe you're down there for a little bit and then have a place up north is what what I kind of see, you know, the future looking like. Um, when you say up north, Erie? Yeah, Nor I mean... Northern Michigan? I, do, do you have like I a, think that up north to me 
because in, in Michigan, up north means northern like Michigan. Like northern Michigan. Was yeah, just remember like, that? Yeah. I mean, it was just Ooh. like, we're going up north. Yeah. Like, where are you going? Like, people in Florida would be like, up north. To, it could mean any place. Yeah. Like north of, like, like, Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. <laughs> they're in the South Carolina area. Um, yeah, I mean, anywhere, you know, like, I like our, like, I actually like our climate and our summers here. Um, you know, growing up in Erie, I think, was meaningful. You know, I think we'd all agree this is like a, you know, similar to Meadville and similar to the surrounding areas. This is like a blue-collar town. Like, you know, we got a lot of people that are just salt of the earth, hardworking, grinding. They get up, they go to work, they pound it out, they come home, they're taking care of their families. And I respect that. And I think that I'll always just be rooted here because it's where I grew up. Yeah. But, you know, someplace up north like Erie, you know, whether it's here or it's in Michigan or it's in New York or wherever, just a northern climate where, you know, the summers are mild and you've got, you know, you can put a fire on at night if you want in the summer. And just it's I think it's enjoyable. So, yeah, I see like a hybrid type mode. I don't think I'll go any one place and stay there because there's features that I like down south and there's features that i like up north i can tell you i got a lot of family in florida just not me yeah i love the florida to visit but i, I go for a couple weeks but yeah like to have a house there or something like it's too congested too busy you know there's all kinds of weird you know wildlife they get it's just weird you know there's just great state gators snakes stuff snakes, that's just like that stuff can like kill you pythons yeah. alligators <clears throat> like there's a lot of weird stuff down there their insects are like six eight inches long yeah. like a grasshopper that's this big here is like this big down in florida you know so in any event you know that's just a side note but yeah i think the carolinas are very very appealing to me and um but it's also a different culture like you have to get used to that kind of stuff like it's just different down there and and that's why probably I couldn't live there all year round. Yeah. You know, there's just a lot of differences from them to us that would lead me to not want to be there all the time. But I love going there. I love visiting. Could definitely see myself having a place down there if if I'm fortunate enough to do so. But then, I mean, I, I do like Erie. <clears throat> I do like suburban Michigan. You know, there's just a bigger city. There's a lot more going on. But like at the end of the day, kind of like a meat and potatoes kind of guy. Like, yeah. I don't need flashy stuff. Like, I don't need to be shopping at Somerset Mall in Michigan and have Saks Fifth Avenue in my back. Like, that doesn't appeal to me. Like, it's fun to go do it, but I don't, I don't need that kind of stuff. Like, I'm happy living here. Um, I value my privacy. I value having land and just being able to putz around outside. There's a lot of areas that you just can't do what you can do in a place like Erie. Yeah. You can have a few acres. You can putz around at your house. You can go into the woods like, you know, you live in suburban Michigan or some of these, like, you just don't have that. You know, yeah. you're, you're, you're just, you're on top of your neighbors. I really have come to value privacy and just being able to go home and decompress and try to just kind of get out of, away from things for a little bit. And that's what I love about an area like Erie. You can really do that well. And once again, getting back to the salt, there's a lot of good people here. And it's a simple life too. Simple. Right? It's Erie is easy too. It's easy. And, you know, you look at our surrounding areas, I'm sure, like, what we see, we have so many patients from the surrounding areas, you know, into Ohio, into New York, out to Warren, just good people. And I really, really appreciate that. You know, you go to the, some of these bigger cities and sprawling metropolitan areas, still a lot of good people, but it's also a little bit different. Yeah. And I really appreciate our patient population. It's really made me 
just really, really thankful that I can provide services to our patients that they can't maybe get in their areas. And I, I, I love hearing their stories. I was going to say, they've got great stories. They've got great Unbelievable. stories. And that's half of the time when I get in and talk to my patients, it's not just about taking out their cataract. I want to hear about them. Like, tell me something. And where you were, where you grew up. Like, you know, so I try to have a personal experience with as many patients as I can. And, you know, those things are touching. And, and those are things like, you know, you'll just never forget. And so. you can't teach that either. Like I had a patient today that I had a 15-minute conversation about the tightest full three-on-three basketball tournament. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, no, Dean was his first name. but he, uh, I, And I was like, did you ever um, have anything to do with the Titusville three-on-three basketball tournament? Because he's from Titusville. And he asked me if, I, if we ever played basketball against each other. He's quite a bit older than me. I was like, no, but that Titusville three-on-three basketball tournament was one of my favorites ever. And... He's like, man, he's like, I started that. He goes, wow. I started that in 1992 and I, I ran it till 97. It went for 20 some years. And I was like, oh, I love that tournament. And I played in a ton of three on threes back in the day. And that was always my favorite. And I said, those hoops, they're all wood, but they were like very shooter friendly. Cause yeah. they had a soft backboard. You could, yeah. you could, you could get yeah. into a rhythm. You work and he goes, backboard. I built all those, my yeah. buddies and I built those. But so Next session, before we kind of wrap it up, is, uh, well, there's a couple more sections. We have the 17-inch shoe stretch. So okay. you know me. I love my kicks. Yes. I'm kind of a, a shoe geek, yes. shoe nerd. But um, I know what you're wearing there, but let's let's talk about it a little bit. Tell the yeah. audience what you're wearing, yeah. why you like it. we just kind of bring that puppy? Like, they'll, they'll see it from that center camera. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I took like two, three weeks of gymnastics when I was a kid. To get those so, hip, yeah. you hips see, stretched you out see that? It's nice. I mean, is that like... Really these are broken good. in too. Yeah, these are broken in. So these are um, a company that I like uh, out of Spain, and uh, Magnani is a I think a third or a fourth generation now Spanish shoemakers that everything is crafted by hand. And you know the thing that I love about these shoes not only are they totally comfortable, um, I do think they're stylish. You could dress them up, you can dress them down, you can wear them with jeans. But, you know, their philosophy as a family was to make shoes as craftsmen and they didn't take the easy way out. They do this by hand. It's not automated. They spend the time on it. They work on the details of it. And like, that's their philosophy. And when I found out about the company, it was just meaningful to me because I felt like that's kind that's of what like, you do. It's me. Yeah. Like, I don't take the easy way out. Like, I couldn't take the easy way out. I had to work hard and I had to grind. So the philosophy behind the shoe company was very meaningful to me. And then when I tried them on, I loved them. They fit well. They were com all those things that I just said. So, you know, like I'm, you know, three days a week, at least in the office. I'm, some is, days is I work. Is this what we're going to catch you in? Yeah. In the office? You'll catch me in these guys. Um you know, and then it's usually, I mean, there are a lot of days where I'll just wear like a pair of nice blue jeans and a button down. Like this is kind of my office uniform and it's comfortable to me. The shoes are comfortable and I like the meaning behind the company. So, um, yeah, good work ethic, not taking the easy way out, grinding through it, building shoes. And it's a family company too. Family right? company. Yeah. It's, it's, it was pretty good stuff. So that's, you know, that's what, um, I can't remember if you introduced me to them or if we both, because I own several Magnani shoes as well. Yeah. And 
they're they are super comfortable and i feel like like a lot of custom leather shoes they get more comfortable the more times you wear them too i was just gonna say that right. i mean these like i don't even feel like i have shoes on it's yeah. like an extension like- of the foot it's just so comfortable and and you know they're they're a little bit more costly but you're supporting people that do this craft by hand and, and they're gonna last you too yeah i mean these are probably at least so yeah shoes my thing has always been dress shoes yeah and I've always found like you pay a little bit more and you get a quality dress shoe and they last like they they last. What are those? Probably five, six years old. I, I'd say at least I, I'd say probably even more than that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they're starting to wear out a little bit on the bottom. But, man, I put these puppies on and it's just like butter. Yeah. Just like butter. So, um, obviously, yeah, what do you got? I'm, I'm, you got I'm wearing Jordans here as always. So these are. um Air Jordan 12 Retro Lows, and um, just a different colorway. They kind of reverse things where they, instead of doing like a darker color here, black with white or uh, the traditional, the flu game shoes were maroon out here with black. Um, this is just a little roll reversal. I can't really do the three quarters or the highs. They dig into my ankles. They're not uh, super comfortable. Yeah. But, um, you know, this is, again, part of my... Uh, and there's just some cool details on the back. They've got the the jump man. They've got the 23, which you probably can't see, but nice. it's it's back there. And uh, they're decently comfortable too. I mean, the Jordan ones, which are probably you know the most simple, basic version that they have, yeah, are yeah. by far and away the most comfortable Jordans that I've ever put on. Yeah. And each year, I feel like they got a little less comfortable, but okay. Um, in terms of style. These are right up there in terms of uh, just the the shape, the 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 colorway, and the silhouette of them. But yeah, they're uh, sharp and they look comfortable. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. Here it is, boys. Sawbones yeah. challenge. Hey, this is number six. So no you got some big paws. Doesn't mean I can play basketball. So rules right. are: first one to five, we right. alternate shots. Back if we if we come back, but uh, me too.
four to two. This could be the first defeat. Oh no! A five and zero. Oh. <laughs> Not on your home court. I can't. There you go. Oh. Yeah! Oh. Oh. Four to three. This will be it if he makes it. Yeah! Four to three. Oh! oh it's over. Yeah. It's over. I can't beat you in a chicken wing contest. <laughs> I can't beat you in a basketball contest. Go first, and by the way, you get it. You get a prize too. So. Even better. Yeah. That's it, folks. Thanks, Evelyn. The basketball let it paid me off. The practice and, paid um, off. I, I am very, very disappointed to say that my 5-0 and uh, record is now 5-1 and because this guy. Now, granted, the bank was open two out of his five shots. Yeah. But, yeah. And I didn't it, call it. But but it doesn't us. matter. It's yeah. it, it, it's like doesn't matter how. It's It's how many. And he got five. It was five to three. So yeah, it's just I was trying to get in before lightning. Strong lightning. word. He made his first couple and, and and just switched them. And I was like, ooh, maybe we should do a dunk competition or something like that. It's <laughs> you good said to you lose. also don't like to lose. No, I don't. So we're gonna have another one after this, this, this if this it's raining outside. Gonna, this is not the end of this. No, this night is far part from over. Two coming up. You're gonna have to come back on for redemption. For should we do a dunk contest next time? We could do that. But are we going nine? Are we going full ten feet on well, the rim? Are we gonna have like springs on our shoes? Because yeah. I don't think you or I are gonna be doing too much. We might have to, to drop it down to like seven feet. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, the hoop out there. <laughs> yeah, the, like that would be fine. Yeah, that'd be fine. So I guess in closing, Matt, um, where do you where do you see yourself in five ten years? Um. um yeah, good question. I think, um, you know, just kind of keep plugging along here. Um, I think that, you know, the one thing that I've noticed and I've seen over the years in medicine is that the pendulum shifts. And, you know, there were times that were favoring um, HMOs and PPOs and insurances and Medicare and all these different things. And, you know, so at the end of the day, the pendulum will shift. And we'll see different things from insurances and group practices. Um, my goal is to be able to continue to focus on patient care and, you know, making sure that they have a great experience. Um, that's never going to change. You know, people are always going to get cataracts. People are always going to have bad hips and knees. And I think we just need to work on our trade and perfect our craft and, and, and focus on getting good outcomes and taking care of our patients and also taking care of our staff. You know, we can't do this stuff alone and we can't do it without them. Great, great point. And, you know... Uh, I know you put a lot of time and effort into that, as do I. Many props go out to them. We have zero tolerance for slackers at my practice and, and at the surgery center, and they know that. And, you know, we've created a team of people there that are just, you know, primo. And, you know, so we'll we'll continue to, to, to work hard every day and grind every day, and we'll watch the trends in medicine... But at the end of the day, we'll just deliver good care and, you know, continue to spend time with the family and develop the kids and, you know, make sure I'm doing everything that I can to be a good father to them and and be there when they need me. And, you know, most importantly, as a dad with daughters, to let those boyfriends know that, you know, which could be the Molly boys. Right. So. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I think that there may be some little bit of connections <laughs> developing there already and um so you know i just look forward to continued good times good fun and you know our continued relationship and seeing you know our kids grow and mature together and um you know at the end of the day 
you know, those are really the important things. And um, I don't think that when the day comes that either of us will ever look back and say, God, wish I spent more time at the office, you know, and, and I think that you have realized and I have realized as we have matured in our careers and our lives, we focus on what matters to us. And you have to trim and eliminate the fat in your life. And, you know, there's things that we just maybe used to spend time on that we don't spend time on anymore. And, you know, I think we got to say cheers to that because you know what's valuable and what you appreciate. And as we grow and evolve, I think that part of our lives will continue to grow and evolve as well. And, you know, we're, we're not going to spend time on things that aren't meaningful to us and aren't yeah. valuable to us and the families and to our kids. And it's just so important that, you know, as life gets busier, we take the time to be thankful for what we have. And, and we're both extraordinarily blessed absolutely. professionally, personally. Oh. And it's funny that you mentioned that. Cause I said the exact same thing. I can't remember which guest it was, but I said there, there was somebody on, on, I think LinkedIn that said very few times are you going to say, I wish I would have spent more time at the office. Or I wish I would have spent right. more time doing more surgery, but you probably are going to say at some point, like I wish I would have spent a little bit more time with my kids. So yeah. whether it's me coaching any of my three boys sports yep. teams, which I've done forever. Yeah. Um, we don't get that time back. Mm-hmm. So amen, brother. Cheers. I want to thank you. Boom. This was fun. Really awesome. Um, we're yeah, definitely going to do it times. again. Good times. We're going to do two. the Sawbones Challenge again. Um, the Dunk Challenge. Dunk Challenge. Because I yeah. think the guests are going to want to see that. Yeah, I'm going to have to Even if it's come, on the mini uh, hoop in here. But. Next time I'll be without my business socks and my business shoes. And, and by the way, Matt got me an amazing pair of shoes. Um, oh. He got me a Jordan 1 Low. Um, what was the, the, the name of the color? It was, coconut milk yeah coconut milk coconut milk and there's like foam exposed up here on the rim um it, like the detail on these things i'm going to be wearing them actually i'll probably wear them the next time that i have you on so. awesome i would love that and you know i respect your appreciation for things that are meaningful to you and i just a little something just I'm like, to hey, find things right add it to the collection put it up in there size 12s and let's just rock those puppies love it buddy so yeah. thank you very much. Thanks, Ryan. So yeah. anybody, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in. Um, please make sure that you uh, give us your comments, give us your feedback, uh, subscribe to to our channel, and make sure that you're staying tuned because at the end, we're going to give you a little sneak peek as to our next week's guest. Um, we try to keep it exciting. We ke- try to keep it fresh. Again, it's always going to be authentic. It's going to be genuine. There's going to be really no guardrails. We're going to tell embarrassing stories um but it's it's again it's hey sawbones my story my passion it's it's relationships with the people that um you know i've grown to love i've grown to appreciate that have helped to shape me helped to form me and i want to thank you guys for tuning in so have a great night take what care what brought guys. you to erie pennsylvania and kind of all those little steps in between yeah so i grew up in new york city area in queens um i i started my college education at boston university played on the baseball team they just started talking about all the players they've had drafted and all the championships they won. And they were, I think they were number one in the country and Boston university was just a great academic school and a lot of fun. Uh, but I was so impressed with Lewis university and their drive to win and the way they ran this program. And, um, you know, I decided I'm going to go to Lewis university. I'm going to transfer to Lewis university, finish my last two years of college baseball, at Lewis university. 
I was going to say, I feel like the volleyball team at Mercer has played Lewis University. Right, yeah. So there was definitely a a Lewis-Mercerhurst rivalry going on in a few sports. But the soccer program was really top of the region. And my senior year, I think we actually played Mercerhurst in baseball. Okay. So I'd never even heard of it. Yeah. And, um, Did you have trip t- uh, trip ticks? Remember we, those? We we didn't have anything. <laughs> I mean, it was literally old school paper map. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I just remember thinking, where am I going? This is so far. This is a seven hour ride. And then, it, even though it was January, you just you drive in those gates, and it's like this place is unbelievable. Yeah. And what? Just, so what year was that? Because you graduated, Lewis, probably ninety seven. Ninety seven. Yep. So it was like it was. It was in the winter of 97. I think it might have been like December or January. Okay. Probably January. Tell me all about it, Doc. 